0: Hey guys, this is Monica, and you're listening to State of the Pod. Today, we're going to be talking about climate change and its impact on the insects that spread diseases. Now, since there are so many types of insects and other arthropod vectors to cover, this episode is going to focus specifically on mosquitoes. While not every species of mosquito can act as a disease vector, there are several species that can. The ones that can transmit malaria, Zika, West Nile, Dengue, which all have huge impacts where they're endemic. Now, generally, we associate diseases like Zika and malaria with tropical regions of the world. But as the Earth's climate changes and the distribution of vectors, pathogens, and the problems associated with the two being in contact, we'll move into regions of the world that were once too cold to be affected by this problem. The most basic effect of global warming on mosquitoes is its impact on their rate of development. Mosquitoes are cold-blooded, which means they can't regulate their own body temperature, and an insect's body temperature is a huge determining factor of their rate of growth and development. Basically, an increase in temperature of the environment that a mosquito is in causes mosquitoes to develop faster, which decreases the time between each generation, causing a significant increase in population sizes. Also, mosquitoes thrive in warm, wet places. As we know, the earth is becoming warmer and warmer, and as it does, not only does the geographic distribution of these mosquitoes grow, but the mosquitoes are able to exist in these regions for longer. Because of this, some scientists expect Anopheles mosquitoes, which are the vector of malaria, to be present in wet areas of the United States from Miami to Seattle. Now, the presence of Anopheles mosquitoes alone doesn't pose a threat to us. But when they are present, all you need is one person who went somewhere where malaria is endemic to become infected and come back to the United States to be fed on by a female mosquito while, say, in Miami, for there to be a huge outbreak. I don't know about you, but when I first heard about this, I got really worried. I mean, growing up in New York, I never thought that when I saw a little bump from a mosquito on my arm that I'd be worried that I got something like Zika or malaria. Luckily, people have already started developing solutions to the problems that we might face because of this. To put our minds at ease, I reached out to Leticia Smith, and we chatted
1: about methods of vector control. Here's our interview. Hi, I'm Leticia Smith, and I'm a PhD candidate at the entomology department at Cornell University.
0: What vector-borne diseases would you say have the most impacts in the regions where they're endemic?
1: Um, Well, globally, I think the most impactful um, vector-borne disease is obviously malaria. Um, Altogether, um, vector-borne diseases account for quite a lot of infections um, in in humans. Um, This burden is mostly in tropicals and subtropical areas more so than in the temperate or colder regions. And that's mostly because there's, there are more insects and they live year-round, and so there's higher chances of them to be able to populations grow of the vectors, and that can then infect humans. Um, so malaria, I would consider it to be the, the most impactful one. It's um, worse or the highest burden is actually in Africa, especially in sub-Sahara Africa. Um, so yeah, so that's the. But it, it is also found in other continents. And it's actually uh, present in I think what is it, eighty seven countries. Um, so it happens in there. There's actually malaria in the Americas. There's malaria in Southeast Asia. You know, there it's spread across the world. It's just that the burden is highest in Africa.
0: What are the geographic distributions of these vectors?
1: Do we already have some in the United States? Oh, absolutely. Um, so for example, a lot of the uh, malaria vectors, we, we actually have them here in the US. In fact, malaria used to occur in the US um, a long time ago. The, but it was we managed to get rid of it mostly by using DDT um, and also by draining wetlands. And so DDT has also been used in, in a lot of other countries, but by the time we got to that, resistance was already becoming a main problem. And also the environmental impacts of DDT is, is something that became more and more of concern. And also draining wetlands is kind of a very expensive and difficult thing to do. So even though we were able to locally get rid of it in the places in the U.S. where that was a problem, because we've actually drained most of our wetlands, um, It's not something that you can do across an entire continent like Africa, right? Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually really interesting. I
0: feel like when I think of malaria, I always think of Africa. But I remember in a class um, learning about an outbreak of malaria in Ithaca. Um, Yeah. I don't remember exactly how long ago it was, but it's crazy to think about. Like it was here once, so it could
1: come back. It could absolutely all because we have the vector. What we don't have are the infected people. So to get a, a, a disease to become an endemic problem like that, it's you need both things. And actually, if you can remove eliminate the disease from a population for long enough, it doesn't matter how many vectors you have if they are not that disease isn't cycling in the population anymore, then it's it's basically gone. So the vectors are still going to be a nuisance because they bite us and it's annoying, but they're no longer transmitting the disease if you can break that cycle. And that's what happened here. So the same thing can happen. So the other really big disease is dengue and also Zika and a lot of these viruses that are transmitted by Aedes aegypti. Um, It's huge in the Americas and Southeast Asia, but it's also present around the world. And the vector is also spreading. So actually, because places are becoming warmer, it's actually starting, the Aedes aegypti is starting to be able to live further and further north. Um, So now we even find them occasionally in some southern parts of the US, and they're even finding them in like Italy or some parts of southern Europe too. So
0: let's say someone went to Kenya, where there's a really high incidence of malaria, and they became infected and then flew home and was bitten by a mosquito here in the United States.
1: Could that be enough to start an outbreak? And with traveling the way it is. Um, That's kind of not hard to happen.
0: Right, right. Let's say that happened and we had an outbreak. What technologies do we have to combat it?
1: Right, so mm, the most common method right now is the same one that we've been using forever, which is insecticides. Um, Depending on the vector, this is applied differently. So for malaria, one of the most common ways that insecticides are used are in insecticide-treated bed nets. Um, So they basically just hang a a fabric, kind of like a netting over the bed where people sleep, that it has some insecticide on it. So it kind of has two purposes. One, it prevents the mosquito from reaching the person because it's just a physical barrier. But it also kills the insect if it if it lands on the on the net, as long as it's not resistant to it. Right, right. Um, the problem that you have with that is that it's not always used properly. Also, they're expensive because um, this is something that you have to give each person. You know. Um, So it it does cost to produce and to distribute them. But the main problem is also just educating the people so that they know how to use it and when to use it. Um, So those are kind of some of the challenges with that. Um, In addition to it, it really only protects you if you're in bed. And so if you're outside during that dusk and dawn time period, um, you're still going to be just equally... um, you know, at the risk of of getting an infection. So yeah, that's one way that insecticides are used, um, but they're also used as spraying um, either indoor residual spraying. This is very common as well for malaria, but also for dengue and other vector control where they just sprayed insecticides around the house. So in areas where the mosquitoes would normally go and rest after they had a blood meal, basically. Uh, But they also, they're always going and resting against walls and things like that. And so they applied insecticide to those areas so that when the mosquito lands on it, it gets exposed to insecticide and dies. And then during bigger outbreaks, um, this is, I think, less common as far as I know for malaria, but certainly more common for dengue and Zika and, and those, um, that one vector specifically, um, and that is the the space sprain. That's when they actually go around and just spray an area, um, like just the air, basically. They're spraying it around the town. Um. And that's that's kind of like another very common method of control.
0: Yeah. So what are the environmental impacts of spraying all these pesticides just everywhere
1: yeah right <laughs> <laughs> so so yes yeah, so for the for this kind of spraying of insecticides there's I don't know what the details of the the environmental impacts are I'm not even sure how many studies are actually looking at non-target effects mm-hmm. um, but even urban environments have a lot of local insects and and you know that are there and that many of them are beneficial or at least not a problem Problem or beneficial in some way or another, and they're certainly being targeted by that during those those kind of spraying. Now, the indoor residual spraying probably has a very little impact because, unless it's an indoor pest or some kind of an insect that is happens to be inside your house, which most people would just kill it anyway, um, so those are the ones that would probably be targeted in that um, in that case. What would be
0: the ecological impacts of eliminating an entire species of mosquitoes?
1: Yeah, that's actually a really good question and and something that's been coming up more and more because of the new technologies that are showing up to control vectors. So um, you may have heard of the gene drives or gene editing and things like that. So quick side note
0: about gene drive. Scientists successfully sequenced the genomes of several Anopheles mosquito species, including those responsible for the malaria transmission in Africa, and by doing this, they were able to identify the genes that underlie the mosquito's ability to colonize human habitats, their reproductive biology, and their susceptibility to infection by the malaria parasite. If we know the genes or variants of genes that are responsible for these key mosquito traits, we can theoretically introduce a genetic modification into the insects that would reduce pathogen transmission.
1: Uh, Gene drives or gene editing and things like that is is kind of the new um, generation, let's say, of vector control. So most of these are um, well, gene drive, at least, is not something that's being used yet. It's just in the laboratory that people are studying. But certainly sterile insect techniques and, and even using the um, symbiotic bacteria Wolbachia to, to um, control, either suppress the population or to control how well it's capable of transmitting diseases. Wolbachia is a genus of
0: bacteria that can live within the cells of anywhere between 20 and 70% of the world's insects. Normally, Wolbachia hangs out in a symbiotic balance within an insect's cells, and it acts as a neutral or even beneficial guest to its host. But it was discovered that Wolbachia can also have really negative impacts on host organisms, particularly on their ability to reproduce. In mosquitoes, males and females infected with Wolbachia have to have the same strain of the bacteria to successfully reproduce, If there's a mismatch, the bacteria will sabotage the male sperm, effectively sterilizing him. Essentially, you can think of Wolbachia as sperm poison that's activated when the sperm reaches an egg infected with a different strain of the bacteria, causing the sperm to self-destruct. Okay, last side note, now back to Letitia.
1: So those are kind of new techniques that are being used, and some of them, especially the ones that suppress a population, and in particularly gene drives, because that is kind of the... Um, you're sterilizing the insects, but over, a, a, you know, all of their generation, this is a, a mutation that is spreading across the population. So you really ultimately have the consequence of eliminating that species potentially from, the, from that area or potentially even globally at some point.
0: What would be the ecological impacts of
1: eliminating an entire species of mosquitoes? Um, so all of this is still being studied. Um, And this is where the question comes often um, that people ask this. um, What happens if you eliminate a species altogether from the planet? So what are the benefits of mosquitoes, let's say? (laughs) 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 They do a lot of bad, but they also do some good. They're there, right? (laughs) Um, There are animals that eat them. Certainly some amphibians and other insects and, and, you know, so they do, I'm sure, have some kind of a purpose. I'm not sure that they're very good pollinators, although they do, especially the males, they do actually feed on, on plant nectar. So they do need sugar to survive, and because the males don't feed on blood. Um, but I don't believe that they're necessarily very good um, pollinators. That's I, I don't know the answer to that <laughs> if they are. Um, but as far as the food chain, let's say if you're removing, if you were to remove all mosquitoes in the world, I definitely think there would be some ecological impact. Um, But in these cases, these controls are usually very targeted. So you're eliminating a single species. And there are about a little over 3,000 species, I believe, of mosquitoes in the world. Um, Just here in New York State, we have, I think, approximately 45 species of mosquitoes. Um, So most likely eliminating a single one isn't going to crash the entire ecosystem. Um, Another thing to consider is that oftentimes these vectors are actually invasive themselves. For example, Aedes aegypti is not native to the Americas. It's actually native to Africa that spread around the world a long, long time ago. So it's been here for a long time, but it's not actually native. So there's so many other native mosquito species that probably play a much bigger ecological role than Aedes aegypti does. Um, and the problem with things like Africa or or with um, the malaria vector in Africa is that there are actually a lot of different mosquitoes that transmit malaria, so that actually adds a complication to this kind of um, new genetic editing techniques to control it because in that case, you might have to target several um, specific species of it, Um, but... Yeah, um, that's, that's, it's, a, it's a really good question that at this point for that particular, those particular new techniques, there is no answer. And it's something that is being researched and people are keeping that in mind. Um, but there could be, although in my opinion, it would be unlikely, particularly for vectors like Aedes aegypti that are not even usually native to where they're being controlled. That's actually really interesting, because
0: Aedes aegypti spreads, to name a few, Zika, chikungunya, yellow fever, and dengue. So eliminating this single species could potentially reduce the number of cases of mosquito-borne illnesses by a really significant amount, not to mention help to revert the invaded ecosystems to the state they were in before they were invaded by these Aedes aegypti. If we were to successfully eliminate this species. What proportion of the global mosquito population would we have left?
1: Yeah, I don't have an answer specifically to that. I'm not sure people have really looked into the abundance of all mosquito species. It's very local. I think that if you look at urban areas where this mosquito is endemic, they probably make up the vast majority of the mosquitoes you'll find. Like if you go to Rio in Brazil or, or, you know, the areas where this mosquito is a big problem in a big city, it's probably going to be the only mosquito you're going to find there or one of the very, very few species that you'll find. Now, if you start leaving the city and going into more suburban and, and um, you know, the farther away you get from the city, then you start getting different species. And probably if you're far away enough from the city, you might not even find Aedes aegypti anyway. Oh. Um, or very, very rare. They're not... They're not um, like forest mosquitoes. Okay. They're completely domesticated. They love us. Oh, poor mosquitoes.
0: They love a host that'll never love them back. That's it for this episode. Huge thanks to Leticia Smith for allowing me to interview her today. If you have any ideas for topics for future episodes that you want to hear or you want to share your thoughts on this episode with me, you can find me on Twitter at Monica Kramer 12. That's M-O-N-I-C-A-C-R-A-M-E-R 12. Until
1: next time, listeners.